Take your Bibles and go to the book of Ecclesiastes. The book of Ecclesiastes. That's in the that's going to be on the left side of your of your Bible, and that's in the Old Testament. So we're going Old Testament today. So um, I would appreciate your prayers as we tackle this book. Um, we believe in expository preaching. We believe the best way uh, to preach God's word is going verse by verse through books of the Bible, and. Uh, that also has one caveat to it. We also believe that we have to keep the overarching message of the Bible over everything we preach, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And, and so, because we believe all of God's word is inspired and breathed out by God, we believe that it's supreme and it is sufficient. And we're going to find uh, this to be a wonderful journey and a challenging journey as well as we seek to work through this precious book of God's Word. So today, um, let's begin our time with a word of prayer, and then we'll stand, we'll read, and we'll get started. Father, we bow our head before you, thanking you for the opportunity to open your Word. Thank you that we have your Word, and thank you that in your Word you have revealed your will not only for our life, but for our eternal salvation. And that all of that has been fulfilled in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we pray that you would guide us in all truth today. Pray that you would illuminate the truth, that you will prepare us for this journey as we go through this book in the Bible. And that God, not only will it make us wise in salvation through Jesus Christ, but it will instruct us and how we're to live our life, our temporary life under the sun for your glory. And so I pray that you would empower the preaching today, that you would remove any distraction from my heart and my mind in preaching, and God, that you would remove any distraction from us to be able to hear, to listen, to receive, and respond in the way that you would have us for your sake. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Ecclesiastes 1, verse 1 through 3, the title of the message today is The Words of the Preacher. Stand with me as we read these verses together. Verses 1 and 2. The word of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So don't worry, we're not going to do this two verses at a time as we walk through Ecclesiastes. But today, I'm going to begin our time answering a question, and that is, why Ecclesiastes? As we enter Ecclesiastes, why are we doing this? And and. And what you'll find as we go through this is that we'll actually be covering large segments of the book, all right? But for our time today, the reason I'm only going to, I'm going to zero in, I'm kind of going to do a a microscopic look at these two verses, but then what that's going to do is, is it's going to give us a, a kind of blown up overview of the book of Ecclesiastes. This is not a normal book in the Bible. And what I mean by that, it's not one that we're necessarily accustomed to. 
And because of that, this is not going to be a normal sermon, okay? It's not going to be a normal sermon in in conventional terms, written in the, you know, written according to the latest preaching book or taught by an award-winning seminary professor. In fact, I'm just going to put all my cards on the table. The approach today is kind of a mix between the preacher, pastor, that God's called me to be, as well as a 15-year English teacher in the classroom. In fact, the way I do this today is much like I would introduce a book if I was introducing a novel in the classroom. I've always approached books this way, and I actually think it's one of the most helpful ways for us to enter into the study of a book in the Bible. But but the other part of that, beyond the, the, the English teacher in me, and of course the preacher in me, is, listen, I'm just a regular guy living life under the sun in the same messed up world that you are living in, and I have a feeling that you and I are probably asking the same questions as we journey through this life. And what I think you're going to find, as I have found, is this book, Solomon is asking the same questions. And so uh, let me explore just a little bit further as to why I've taken us here, and I believe the Lord has led us to this book. I've wanted to preach through Ecclesiastes for some time. First, some years back, my family and I read the book of Ecclesiastes in our family devotions. And it was right after we had walked through two terrible tragedies of young people ending their lives. One young man was from our church that I pastored. The other young man was a very close family member. And shortly after those events, I took us to Ecclesiastes because as a family, we were processing death and life in the unimaginable. I'm certain you can relate to that. And then about a year later, after we read that together, I was, um, I was actually at the Master Seminary, and in the program, we were being, uh, we were being encouraged to preach the Old Testament. Because that's what Paul's referring to when he does, he's referring to the New Testament, but immediate context, all scriptures breathed out by God, is a direct reference to the Old Testament. So we should preach the Old Testament. And so as we're being challenged, one of the books that was highlighted in the, in one of the courses was the book of Ecclesiastes. And once again, I was struck by the book as a whole. And it's in its place in sacred scripture. Much like the Song of Solomon. It's one of those books where you're just like, wow, this is God's Word? And, 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 and the reason I say that is because it's unfortunate that most of us are familiar with Ecclesiastes like, like we are with, with much of the Bible. We've been thrown verses at us that are out of context. We, where we've seen Ecclesiastes is probably on social media memes like thrown over the face of Samuel Jackson or Cindy Lauper or Taylor Swift, and it's like thrown at us to be this kind of inspirational quote. That's not how the Bible's to be read. Or, 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 or maybe we've heard Ecclesiastes, or, or, or we think Ecclesiastes based on listening some 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 hyper energetic voice on K love, not just K love positive, encouraging, Caleb. 
But you want to know the truth? Most of Ecclesiastes is not suitable for K-Love. Or even a tagline for your favorite cereal commercial. Unless you extract verses out of context. Let me give you an example. Chapter 2 and verse 17. So I hated life. (laughs) Where's that going to be on a meme? Right? Inspirational thought of the day. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. You see what I'm saying? We've, we have these verses that have just kind of been put, pulled out of context. Verse 18, he says, I hated toil. I hated my work. That might resonate with something. But the reality is, is that it, it, the, the reason we're so unfamiliar with, with a, the, a book like this is because so much of American Christianity is reduced to sound bites or short posts or self-improvement books does, that, that create illusions about life rather than instruct us in the realities of life. It is so easy to reduce the Bible to Hobby Lobby decorations that hang on our walls or sit on our shelves than to actually dive into the Bible to actually understand it. That's what today is going to do, is to dive into the Bible. And so I believe it will be good for us to dive into Ecclesiastes. It will be a cure for the false images we constantly project of our fat, fragile lives. That it's all together. That we've got it all figured out. That we're okay. It will curb the temptation to just become cynical. That's something I struggle with. When it comes to superficial, silly Christianity from positive, encouraging, whatever. Not that I don't want to be positive encouraging, so don't misunderstand me. But the point is, is that it can be, we can become easily cynical. Maybe that's why we like Christian comedians of certain stripes. But the other thing is, is that Ecclesiastes will be a companion to us, but a strange companion, like a crazy uncle who we haven't seen for a long time and shows up and has no manners or restraint in what he says. And he often says what we think, but we're just too scared to say it because it would make people kind of cringe. I'm serious. That's what this, reading through this book, if you read it with us, we read through the whole book on Wednesday night. And if you read through it, I guarantee you there were moments you were scratching your head and you were thinking, yeah, that doesn't, that sounds crazy. Most importantly though, we need this book because it hits us with reality. It just hits us with the reality of life. Like yesterday, I walked into a a basketball game and I walked up to the table and I was asked, are you paying full price or the senior rate? And I almost said, I'm paying the senior rate because I'm preaching on Ecclesiastes tomorrow and my daughter, Christy, will be here just a little bit. Just kidding, that's... You see what I'm saying? Ecclesiastes, it hits us with reality. The reality of life, the reality of aging, the reality of death. Ecclesiastes is medicine. It is medicine to the illusions of youth, to the anxieties of midlife, to the arrival of the golden years 
with the unifying truth that God has put eternity in man's heart and it doesn't matter where you are in the spectrum of life. It will end in the reality of the grave. Ecclesiastes has a way of hitting us with all of those realities and stirring us to think about eternity. So this morning, I have a very simple goal for you. A goal that's very different than how I usually will put up the stuff on the screen or for the sermons. And it's this. We should read and receive Ecclesiastes as the word of God for our lives as we seek to understand it in light of the gospel. I honestly think that that is the entire purpose of the two verses as they're put before us. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. The whole words, everything in this book, we want to read and receive it as the Word of God for our lives as we seek to understand it in light of the Gospels. So if you take notes, that's the quick, big idea of the two verses. I want you to walk away with a sense of the book. I want you to walk away today with a sense of the whole book and its importance in the canon of Scripture and for our hearts and lives as we go through the rest of it. So I want you to have a sense of the whole thing. And in order for me to give you a sense of the whole thing, the first two verses help us. Because you need to know first who is the author. Who wrote this? And then the second thing you need to know, or the second question that you need to ask is, what kind of book is this? And what is its message? Those are the two simple questions that I'm going to ask. In light of the fact that we want to receive it as God's word, in light of the gospel for our lives, what I want us to do is, okay, okay, who wrote this? And why is that important? And then two, I want us to consider what is the book about? Like, what is, what kind of book is this? And what is its central message? And actually, both of those questions are given to us in the ver- in these verses. So let's ask, answer the, let's ask, let's, let's address the first question. Who is speaking? Verse one. And so, as we examine the speaker, the author, the opening gives us two things. Now, I wish we had like, I could, I could show you like any school teacher would. Let's just show a biography for 30 minutes about the author. Because that's what I'd always do when I'd introduce novels and books in school. But instead, we want to go to scripture to understand this. So look at this. You have a few things that are stated. One, who is speaking? Well, the words of the preacher. That's the first thing you see. He is the preacher, the text says. And the Hebrew is the word kohaleth. And it means to call an assembly to preach to the people or to teach them. So the one speaking is the preacher. This is, and that's how it's translated in our ESV Bible. Some translations will say teacher. And there might be other renditions, but those are the two primary ones. And, and what it means is, is it means to call an assembly to preach to them. This idea of assembly is also reflected in the book title, Ecclesiastes. Does that bring a, a if you, if you're somewhat familiar with the New Testament and the Greek word for church, what is it? The ecclesia. 
And so the, the Greek, the Greek root is there even in the title of the book. Ecclesiastes. The gathered assembly. And so what you need to understand is, is that the author considers himself a pastor to the people of Israel who teaches wisdom to them as the people of God. In fact, if you have your Bible open, and I hope you do, go to verse 16. Look what the text says in verse 16. He expounds this, verse 12 actually. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the under heaven. So do you see that? He's the preacher. He's gathered the people. And he wants to instruct them with wisdom. Verse 16. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me. And my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And so what he wants to do is, he's searched for wisdom. God has given him wisdom. And now he wants to impart that wisdom to the people of God. Now, if you go to chapter 12 and verse 9, go all the way to the end of the book for a second. I told you this is going to be just a little bit different. Go to chapter 12 and look at the very end of the book. He says in verse 9, besides being wise, the preacher also taught the people knowledge. See how this has developed? The Kohalath has taught the people knowledge, weighing and studying and arranging many proverbs with great care. The preacher sought to find words of delight and uprightly he wrote words of truth. Do you see the pastoral tone to this? This is not just giving information. This is the, the, the preacher desire to shepherd the flock, to guide the people of God with the wisdom of God. Verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails. Firmly fixed are the collected sayings. They are given by one shepherd. Hold that place right there for a second. So did you see what takes place here? This shepherd, this kohaleth, this preacher, he has pondered what's in this book. He has thought, he has studied, he has searched, he has arranged many proverbs about one single subject. What is that subject? All is vain. All is vain. He's given all of this incredible thought to this idea that everything is vain. And in verses 9 to 11 of chapter 12, what he, what he tells us is, is that before writing, he sought words of delight and words of truth to be uprightly written and shared with the people of God. Again, do you see the pastoral purpose of it? He wants to not to just impart information, but he wants to lead the people. And so what you see then is the book of Ecclesiastes, it's, it's, it is a coherent, comprehensive, complex book. Do you see how he, he, how he, he glues it all together? He doesn't want you to read this book as just like, again, like those, 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 those statements on decorations at Hobby Lobby. He wants you to see that there's one main thought and the whole book is a reflection on that one thought. It's comprehensive. It's cohesive. It's coherent, coherent. And it's also complex. It's not an easy book. But it's not a collection of proverbs for refrigerator magnets. It's more like this. It's like a jigsaw puzzle. 
That's what this is. And so it's a jigsaw puzzle. And the and what he wants you to do is, is that that's how he's going to approach it. He's just going to rip it open. I won't do that. And he's dumping all the pieces out. And then what he wants to do, once he gets it all there, is he wants to slowly with you work the puzzle to put it together. That's, that's the approach. to that, That's what he's doing pastorally. And so the original audience would have understood that it demands their undivided attention for hearing and understanding and responding. Now you say, okay, pastor, that's great, but what about us? I'm glad you asked. You and I, church, must recognize that we are not reading a book that can be found on Google or produced on AI or that we're going to just find in a, in a bookstore. We must be careful not to reduce this book to, again, sound bites from popular influencers or creatives on YouTube. It is a book written by the wisest man who ever lived, who was given wisdom by God himself. He is as much the preacher to us as he was for the audience then. You believe that? Because if we believe that, then we're going to take the journey together through this whole book. And so, but one question that we should ask before leaving the author, the author here is who is he more specifically? Why is he qualified to speak? Well, he answers that. Go back to chapter 1. It was also in verse 12. He is the son of David, the king in Jerusalem. He gives us his identity without officially stating his name. Now, you can read tons of books and you'll find that the authorship attributed to Solomon has been questioned by some in more modern times. But I'm just telling you that that my conclusion is there's nothing, and the, the conclusion of most would be, there is nothing reasonable to lead us away from Solomon being the author. He was the heir to King, to, to King David. The son of promise in 2 Samuel 14. In fact, as I just read, verse 12 says, I, the preacher has been king over Israel in Jerusalem. It can be no one other than Solomon. And then that, that identity is then followed by a description of his massive wealth and his wisdom that is only fitting for Solomon. Let me prove it to you. Go to 1 Kings chapter 4. While you're going there, I will also put it on the screen, but I'm, I told you to go there because you can get the, the entire scope of what is said. The whole chapter describes Solomon. And so, as you go through 1 Kings chapter 4, and you see this description of Solomon as the king of Israel, notice what you will find then in beginning in verse 29. Let me turn there as well. Chapter 4, verse 29. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed the wisdom of all the people of the east. And all the wisdom of Egypt, for he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan and the Ezraite, and Heman, and Kalkol, and Darda, the sons of Mahol, and his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He also spoke 3,000 proverbs, and his songs were 1,005. 
He spoke of trees from the cedar of the, he spoke of trees from the cedar that is in Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the wall, out of the wall. He spoke also of beasts and of birds and of reptiles and of fish and people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Now, do you get a sense of who this is? Now, think about that in light of what we, what we see in Ecclesiastes. Note the scope of his wealth and his kingdom. If you read the whole chapter of 1 Kings 4, the verses show that his, the magnitude of his wisdom, his creativity, listen, his accomplishments, his popularity. That's what you see in these verses. On a sheer human level, Solomon is qualified to speak about life simply because everything he's done and received is astounding, isn't it? And here's, what's, here's what makes Ecclesiastes amazing. All this stuff here, do you know what he reduces it to? Nothing. Nothing. It's all vanity. We'll explain it in, in a little bit. He reduces it all to nothing. Now, doesn't that provoke you to read Ecclesiastes? Because aren't we so daggone arrogant? Aren't we? About lesser things. None of us are a Solomon. Right? But what do we brag about? All the degrees we have, all the education we have, all of the status we have, all the money we have, all the wealth that we have, the popularity that we have. We think ourselves far more important than we actually are. The preacher of Ecclesiastes should be listened to. Solomon should be listened to because he destroys our pride and he deflates our self-importance. Well, there's nobody like me. Well, yeah, there are. There's like millions of people like you. There's millions of people like me. They can do what I do. Right? And so, and so what, what this book does is it just, it just levels this. And again, it smashes us with reality. Solomon's qualified that, wouldn't you agree? Just on a, just on a human scale. But let me give you one other thing about Solomon that feeds into the whole book itself. Go to 1 Kings 11. So you're already in 1 Kings, just go to 1 Kings 11. And verses 1 through 11 detail Solomon's turning away from the Lord. Okay? So look at this. I'm just going to read you the summaries there in verses 1 through 3. You can read the whole thing later. Now, King Solomon loved many foreign women, along with the daughter of Pharaoh, Moabite, Ammonite, Edomite, Sidonian, and Hittite women from the nations concerning which Yahweh, the Lord, had said to the people of Israel, you shall not enter into marriage with them. Neither shall they with you, for surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. After all, there was a thousand women in his life, and it did him no good. And if you go down to verse 9 of the text, it says the Lord was angry with Solomon. Because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel, who had appeared to him twice and had commanded him concerning one thing that he should not go after other gods, but he did not keep the Lord, what the Lord commanded. Okay, I'm not going to read the rest of that. You get the context? Everybody see? This is why you got to have the full spectrum here. 
This is why the sermon is not the normal sermon. Because you need to know, in, in essence, not only Solomon, all that wealth of chapter 4, all that wisdom, but Solomon's heart was led astray from the Lord. He fell into idolatry and apostasy. This had terrible consequences for his family and for the kingdom he ruled for generations. And so when you're reading Ecclesiastes and you're hearing him talk about, you know, pleasure and wealth and you're hearing him talking about toil and work and building things and experiencing things and all the, all, all of the, all of the pleasures that he had experienced, well, 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 that's because this is where this comes from. And all of that, in all of that, he had turned his heart away from the Lord. And before the end of his life, he repented and he returned to the Lord. And the book of Ecclesiastes is evidence of Solomon's repentance. Now, doesn't that bring your heart some joy? Doesn't that make you want to read it even more? (laughs) In other words, when, when he writes Ecclesiastes, he looks back on his sins and his failures, not just with regret but with repentance and divine resolve to teach God's people. Young people, don't go this way. Generations behind me, listen to this wisdom from God. And through this book, we see Pastor Solomon step to the pulpit and speak. And we listen for more reasons than just he's the prodigal king with wise words. We listen because there's one other thing you need to know about the author. The author ultimately is God. Because it's scripture. So the, the third thing to note is, is that Solomon is the spokesman of the shepherd. If you go back to chapter 12, again, I'm flip, I'm taking you all the way to the end of the book. Remember what he said there in, in, in chapter 12? He says in verse 11, the words of the wise are like goads and like nails firmly fixed to the collected saints. They are given by one capital S, shepherd. In other words, this is the Bible, church. And he makes it clear in verse 12 and 11, verse, verse 11 of chapter 12, that he, that he is the voice of the one shepherd, God. What he says is not his. There's no copyright to it. It is divinely inspired. Ecclesiastes is the word of God, breathed out by God, like all the other books of the Bible. And here's what the doctrine of inspiration. It it, it teaches us that the doctrine of inspiration is so important because what we see is, is that the Holy Spirit superintended, overshadowed the process of the biblical writing, but he doesn't do it just dictating. In other words, he doesn't dictate what's being written through a trance, like suddenly they don't fall into trances and just write down things. Or angels appear like in uh, the, the Book of Mormon. No human authors, they wrote with their personalities. You hear me? Thoughts, grammar, culture, experiences, as the Holy Spirit governed every word. And so in this text, you see Solomon and his experience. But from this text, you hear the very voice of God himself speaking through this pastor king. First Peter chapter 1 verse 21 says, No prophecy ever came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, and Solomon is among them. The Bible is God preaching, J.I. Packer says. 
And so let me ask you this. This is why I've covered who is the author. Is that how you will hear and receive this book? Will it be a guide for our souls? Will it be nailed to our hearts? Will it? That's what my prayer is. But that leads to a second question of the book's introduction. Okay, so we've looked at the author, verse 1, but we need to look at verse 1 and 2 and ask the question, what is the book and its message? What is the book and its message? Well, I'm going to give you a word, genre. By genre, I just simply mean it's the type of literature, right? Type of writing. A text message is a type of writing. This is clearly not a text message, right? A recipe book is a type of writing. This is not a recipe book. And so uh, genre is a type, and in the Bible there is wisdom literature. Among the the wisdom literature is poetry, it, it is the book of Job, there's the Proverbs, there's the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. And so this is, you need to know that that's the kind of book you're reading. It is not a letter, it's not a prophecy, it's not a narrative. And when you read wisdom literature, one author notes that it's like learning to drive on the other side of the road. It's strange. And it takes getting used to. You're going to have to get used. That's why I didn't just read like a whole section of Ecclesiastes today. And this book, as you discovered the other night, if you were here for our reading of the whole thing, it's not like other literature. It's not a law book or a letter. It doesn't unfold like a novel or a narrative. In this whole book, just flip through it, you can see it by the typesetting in our English Bibles. There's poetry, proverbs, imagery, literary devices, riddles, aphorisms. And, and, and for the English teacher in me, this is the most difficult type of literature to teach. I never enjoyed when we came to poetry. Rhyme schemes and trying to figure out what is the message the poet is trying to tell us and you just want to yell, why didn't you just say it? But it's also the richest. It's one of the richest forms of genre. Because truth is not presented linear or systematically. You can't read Ecclesiastes like you read the Apostle Paul. Solomon doesn't explain things. And what makes Ecclesiastes unique is that it does not follow the rules of poetry or Proverbs. There's no formulas that are set that we're all used to. And so, this book is like, again, the jigsaw puzzle. You just dump it all out, and you see all the different pieces, and you try to fit it together. And eventually, as you piece it together, you'll find, oh, there's these flat edges, right? And so that frames all the chaos of the middle part of it. And so you've got to read it, and you've got to piece it together. The big truths are there in the text, but the middle is a mess. And now what you do when you put a jigsaw puzzle together? You always frame it first, don't you? And then you start digging through everything else. And what you'll see immediately is there is the fall, the reality of the fall, the reality of sin. There is the reality of God. But it's like a jigsaw puzzle. It's everywhere. And you, and through the help of the Holy Spirit, we have to piece it all together to make sense of it. And the reason I said there's no formulas and there's no rules, because isn't that how life is? Right? This is an example. You know, we had four kids and then, and then we had a child that had special needs and we had to relearn parenting because all the formulas and the rules of parenting all just went out the window. Isn't that life? 
Life's just not this pretty structure that goes in a linear way. It's just not, it's not just didactic. You have to piece it together. And that's how this is. He presents life under the sun as it really is. Go back to chapter 1 and verse 2. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And then he goes on to say, verse 14, I've seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, and a striving, a grasping after the wind. So see what he's doing? He presents life under the sun as it really is. And then instead of giving you the answer, after verse 2, look at look, verse 2, vanity, vanities, says the preacher, vanity, vanities, all is vanity, and what you want to say is, okay, explain what you mean, and he doesn't. Instead, he says, what does man gain by the toil at which he toils under the sun? That's not an answer, that's a question. And then you begin moving through it. It's a crazy mess. He asks a question. He starts sifting through all the pieces of the puzzle scattered everywhere. You will find, and as you're reading it, you'll find pleasure and food and work and birth and wealth and loneliness and friendships and funerals and injustices. And you'll find every facet of living. And then as you're reading through the book of Ecclesiastes, he'll suddenly push in front of you one of the flat pieces so you can put the frame up. And he'll, he'll give you, he'll start giving you the flat pieces that frame the truth, kind of like lightning in a storm, like a crack in the crevice of a dark cavern, like a highway sign reminding you, you are still on the right road, even though you might feel like you're lost and don't know where you are. That's how Ecclesiastes unfolds. You're moving through it. You're on the highway. You're on the road. I don't know where I am. And then suddenly there's a sign. And it reminds you of the God who you're to fear. You're reminded that He is the God who is set the times in its place. And then you're like, oh yeah, okay, okay, okay. I, I know. I'm on the right road here. And you see that throughout the book. Ecclesiastes 2, verse 26. He says... For to the one who pleases him, God has given him wisdom and knowledge and joy. Chapter 3 and verse 15, he says, That which has already has been and that which is to be already has been, and God seeks what has been driven away. There's God. There's God in the mess and madness. And then in verse 12, verse 8, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments. But do you see how it's not just closely put together? It slides out to you. Along the way through it. But there's something else I want you to pay attention to. Go with me here. Tone and voice. Listen to his voice and tone. Pay attention to this. This preacher is shocking. He states his main point in verse 1 and 2. That's the main idea. That's the thesis. That's the theme. And then he meditates on this vanity of vanities. And as you go through the book, there's no sentimentality. There's no platitudes, no superficial nonsense. He meditates on the vanity of life with words that make you feel, not just think. It's like when you watch NFL. Don't you like it when they, when they mic the guy, they put the mics on the guys? Right? And then you're realizing like, these guys are like joking around with each other. Sometimes they're saying things they shouldn't say to each other. Right? This is light, this is Solomon miked up in the journey of life. And, and, and he's saying things that are raw and real. 
And we shouldn't say in polite places. Think about it. Can I throw you some examples? I'm quoting him, or I'm at least summarizing him. He says things like, I hated my life. I hated my toil. The fool and the wise man die the same. It's an unhappy business that God has given to man. There is no advantage to being a human or an animal. Both die and go to the dust. There is no remembrance of anything. The wicked and the righteous both die. What's it matter if you're either of the two? The dead know nothing and their memory is forgotten. The days of darkness will be many. And hair turns gray. Teeth fall out. Eyes go dim. And the silver cord is broken. Who wants to talk about that stuff? Right? Isn't that heavy? Yes, and the problem with man is that we don't, we want to avoid it. Here's the truth. Solomon, the preacher, gives voice to our pain. He echoes our deepest thoughts. He is able to think like us because he feels like us because he lives in the same fallen world east of Eden under the sun that we still inhabit today. Let me just be honest. Haven't you ever asked the question, does this life have meaning? What's the point of my existence? Why is there so much suffering and pain? Is there really a God? And if He's really there, why doesn't He care? Is there any hope in the midst of all of the suffering in the world and in the life that we live? Why does time go by so fast? Why can't I hold on to the things that are so precious to me? And that, don't you feel with me on that? That's God's word. These are the questions that this sacred book asks and allows us to ask. But you know what also is amazing about this book? It's filled with beauty and good and sunsets and simple pleasures and love and marriage and laughter and gifts. There's a sense from the book of Ecclesiastes that life is both brutal and it's also beautiful. But but without God, we can't make sense of it all. See, the questions are asked not because of a lack of faith, but because they lead to deep faith in the true and living God who does not fit in our boxes. And sometimes He explodes our systems so that we're reminded you can't tame Him. You know what? I believe in providence. But there's places in this book where providence becomes untamed. I wouldn't dare interrupt the preacher and say, well, well, hold on a minute. Let's talk about the souls of animals and the souls of people. Because the preacher might just say, you need to be quiet until I'm done. You know why? Because God is untamable. And yet he's revealed everything we need to know about him. So that leads me to one final thing here as we frame the book, the message of the book. What's the message of the book? Well, the preacher tells you his main message in verse 2. All is vanity, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. You know how I know it's the main message? Because if you go to the very end, he restates it. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8, same verse. Two bookends, that's the point of the book. 
I told you this is an unconventional sermon. I, I hope I blow out. I, I hope that this blows away everything that a seminary would try to tell us is good preaching. I really do. <laughs> vanity of vanities. Do you know that the word vanity is used 30, over 38 times in the book? Go through it. I'll unpack that next week. Suffice it to say this week that the word vanity means this breath. Vapor, smoke, mist. It's not, this is the only place that's mentioned. Look, look at other places, Psalm 144. Man is like a breath. His days are like a passing shadow. James 1.17, Pastor Dan preached this last week. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then it vanishes. What on earth does he mean? All right, I got to do this, okay? So I want to illustrate all right, I need a volunteer. Josh DeLong, will you come up here for just a second? Okay. You got to know this before we get to the end of this book. Thank you, brother. I appreciate you coming up here on stage to illustrate. All right. So I'm going to light this candle. And by the way, this candle is it's from the men's section of, what is that store called, Christy? Bath and Body Works. It's called Mahogany Teakwood Intense. Okay? Just, just, just so you know. This is not some kind of cheap candle, man. This is the real deal. This is like, this is man scent. Okay? Alright? Alright? Okay? So, you, you gotta get, I'm gonna do this again next week, because there might be people that weren't here this week, because, right? I've given you the author, I've given you the, the, the genre. Now, what on earth does he mean, vanity of vanities? And I'm not joking. The word havel, that's the Hebrew word for vanity. It literally is translated breath. But, but the English words don't really give us a sense of what he means. So I need you to help me, all right? So I'm going to blow this out, all right? And then what I want you to do is, once the smoke rises, I want you to grab a hold of it and don't let it go. You got it? You just grab it. You hold on. Depends on it, okay? All right, here we go. Hold on, wait, 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 wait. See? Now, forget it. Now, just hold it now, sweet. Hold on to the smoke. All right, all right, there you go. There you go. Don't let go now. All right? Now you go back to your seat and carry that to those guys, all right? All right? All right? You still holding on, Josh? All right? O- open it up. That's powerful, isn't it? Thank you, Josh. Do you see the point? Here's what he says. And this is going to be next week's sermon. All is vanity. It's breath. It's mist. Not not only is it showing you that life is short and it disappears like the smoke. Right? That's what that means. It disappears because of death. Our life is marked by death. But the other thing that this word means is it's elusive. You know what that means? You can't hold on to it. Right there, Josh? That's our youth. That's our beauty. That's our wealth. That's the people we love. That's our accomplishments. Those are our degrees. Those are the years, the 40 years we spent working. That's the retirement. That's the 401k. That's everything. And then when you got to your seat and you opened up your hand, what was it? It was gone. That's the point of the book.
Our problem is we don't get it. We see it, we hear it, but we don't get it. And you know what real wisdom is? It's when you understand that life is that. Vanity. What? It's breath. It's mist. It's vapor. It's elusive. You can't hold on to it. It's all passing away. And once you understand that, then you can actually live with wisdom. Because the point is, is that it is not that none of it matters. In fact, it all matters, but it only matters with the right perspective. Which is what you arrive to when you get to the conclusion. And you all can go there into the conclusion. The end of the whole matter. Verse 9. All is vanity. Everything is vanity. But verse 9. And so the end of the conclusion of the whole matter is fear God and keep His commandments. So here's the conclusion. You're glad because this is the conclusion of the sermon as well. At the end of the book, guess what? Go, go to chapter four, 12 and guess what? There's death. That's how 12 ends. There's death. We age. We die. But that's not all. You know why? Because read the text in chapter 12 and read what he says in verse 9. He says, I'm sorry, in verse 13, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments. This is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment and every secret thing, whether good or evil. At the end of the book, there's death, but we see that there's judgment. And there it is. There's God. There's the answer. Do you hear me? The answer is not an explanation. The answer is a person, and the person is God. Because when you get to the end of the book, guess what? We're still under the sun. But it's His sun. It's His world. Because He's the Creator. He is the King. And because of that, we don't need answers. Do you know who we need? We need Him in this vapor, misty life. And that's why he says, fear God, revere God, honor God, treasure God, live, start at death and with God, and then live the rest of your life in light of death and in light of judgment, but above all, in light of God. And then and only then can we live the life of faith that Solomon is calling us to that leads to trusting God and obeying Him. By faith, we are taken above the sun. By faith, we're taken from under the sun, beyond, above the sun. And beyond this, where the book ends, we are able to see the whole story of salvation. Because the God at the end of chapter 12 sent His eternal Son into this world to live under the sun. His name is Jesus Christ and He died on the cross so that we could be forgiven of sin. He rose from the dead to deliver us from death and judgment and so that we might live a life of faith in Him. And one day this Jesus will remove the curse of this fallen world. He will restore creation and there will be no more sin, no more death, no more sorrow and the vapor will suddenly become an eternal reality with Him. Because of Jesus, because of this God and His eternal Son, everything matters from birth through life to death and beyond. And because of God and the gospel, 
We can live and we can die and we can celebrate. We can grieve. We can weep. We can sing. We can work. We can rest. We can eat. We can drink. And we can love. And we can get old. And we can suffer. And we can die with joy and hope in a God who has conquered death and conquered sin. That's what Paul alludes to in the only New Testament allusion to the book of Ecclesiastes. I think there are others, but I think the most clearest, I I think the clearest would be Romans 8.20, for the creation was subjected to futility, vanity, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. In other words, this God has subjected this world under the sun to the fall and the effects of it so he might redeem through the work of his son, Jesus Christ. So the word of the preacher of Ecclesiastes invites you to see life as the short breath as it is to ask the tough questions and then put your faith in the glorious God who saves and is sovereign over all And I pray that you will do that even today before you leave here this morning. Let's stand and let's bow our heads for just a moment. Father, thank you for your holy and inspired word. We need to hear the words of the preacher. Now help us to respond to those words. Help us as believers to find that only in Christ do we have full meaning and full wisdom. And help us to live our life and enjoy our life for his glory and to please you. Help us all to see how short life is and help us all through this great book to learn and to understand what true wisdom is. Living in the reality that life is short, it is elusive, but if we start with death and judgment and you, we will have salvation in the gospel and we will be able to live all our days until we're in the new heaven and new earth. So do your work in our heart today through the words of this preacher in Ecclesiastes. In Jesus' name, amen.